Romans chapter 3, and then I'm going to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. But I just want us to read this one verse together in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 23. You could probably just quote it without even having to look. Romans 3, and then we're going back to 2 Samuel chapter number 12. Romans 3 and 23, let's read it together. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For all. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Look at somebody close to you and tell them tonight, you're not the only one. (laughs) Amen. If nobody's sitting close to you, turn your phone on and do a selfie and look in your camera and say, you are not the only one. Amen. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I want to talk to you tonight about living your life in the rearview mirror. Living your life in the rearview mirror, you may be seated. The enemy of your soul is he's like the oldest player in the game. And I'll tell you something that's so crazy about Lucifer is that he has no new tricks. He's got nothing new. He has no new plans, no new ploys. It's the same old thing. From the very beginning of the creation of man, he has been trying to get us dissatisfied, disillusioned. He has been trying to somehow get humanity to become unsettled in their current uh, circumstance or situation. And it's always with a promise that it's better somewhere else than it is right here. That God's plan was not good enough for you. And that he has something for you that is so much greater than what you could have ever imagined. And it's like this crazy mind game that he loves to play. He loves to make us believe that God is playing some sick game with us. That God is withholding something good from us. And that we're going to be the first person ever to stick a key into that door, open up that door... And we're going to find out something that nobody else has ever figured out. Am I preaching to you already? It is tactics that are based on empty promises. That at the end of the day they are never fulfilled. It does not matter how hungry you become for success. You always feel like your success is just on a different level when God is not involved in it. I don't want to jump to the end of my sermon tonight, but I do certainly feel like that if I could interject to you what one of the main themes of this evening is going to be, it's very simply that the Apostle Paul had to learn something that was very powerful, and that was his words in the King James language. He said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am in therewith to be content. 
The common cure for discontent is the spirit of thankfulness and gratitude. When I become discontent with what I have, I am as close to contentment as recognizing that on my worst day, I am blessed beyond measure. While some focus on everything that causes discontentment in their life, it's amazing to be around people that are always just thankful for the goodness of the Lord. I know that some people look at them and say, oh, those are really, really spiritual people. I I don't want to, like, take them down a level in your eyes, but it's not so much that they're just spiritual people and that they're so full of the Holy Ghost that nothing can go wrong in their life. It's just that they have learned in whatsoever state they're in, you can be content that the joy of the Lord will become your strength. When you feel like you're weak and you've got no strength and nowhere to run and nowhere to look, All of a sudden you realize that when you're in trouble, you can look to the hills from which cometh your help because he is the lifter of your head. I'm telling you tonight, we have a reason to be thankful. And so here's how the enemy works, okay? I'm just going to let you in. I, I, I wish so bad that I had the patent on this, but I don't. It's in the book from cover to cover. This is what he does. So the first thing he does is convinces you that there's something better outside of your discontentment. And he gets you to buy into it. You, you, you grab hold of it and you go. And then there is this moment after, after the fall, if you would, that you come to grips with the fact that in this pig pen of life, It was better back at the father's house, like Luke chapter 15, the boy that we call the prodigal. And you come to yourself, and you turn around, and you go back to your father's house. And then there is this moment that happens when you try your best to be restored to the presence of God. And that is the enemy starts making you believe that your failure is worse than anybody else's. His first trick is to get you to fail. Then his second trick is to get you to stay in the failure. Most people do not sin because they lose hope. Now I'm going to get where you're living right here, okay, for just a minute. But usually sin is a consequence of selfishness. Oh boy. It's fixing to get tied up in here for just a minute. We sin because we want it our way. But staying in that failure is a result of hopelessness. Because we fail in a moment of of being selfish, now we carry this ugly word around with us called shame. But all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. If we were to drive our vehicles the way that some of us live our lives, we'd never get anywhere. Because we put the car in drive and stare in the rearview mirror the whole time we're driving. We would never see the destination in front of us because we're always looking behind us for what we've done and where we've messed up and where we've come short. But I've come to let somebody know tonight that restoration will never be found in the rearview mirror. You will never overcome by looking over your shoulder. The only, oh God, I feel my help here. 
The only way you're going to overcome is to quit looking behind you and start looking up. Start looking in front of you. The way of God is not from where he's brought you, but where he's taken you. I'm going to step out on a limb and say tonight that there are people in this room that if they were to confess their past in front of this congregation, that faces would get red and people would be embarrassed if they knew the places that you had been and the things that you had done. But I want to tell you that your past and your failures will never be greater than the power of the blood of Jesus. His blood is so powerful that he can take a messed up life. Put your sin in that blood and he'll never remember it. You may have friends that remember you as a drunk. You may have friends that remember you as a whoremonger. You may have friends that remember you as a drug addict. But the only thing he sees tonight is you are a child of God. all talk about being Christians but one of the things we really need to learn about Christ is the power not only to forgive but to forget as far as the east is from the west he will cast your sin into a sea that he cannot remember where you've been I remember the day that I received the revelation of why he chose to use the language from the east to the west, I was a little child and I heard somebody talk about it. And it made so much sense to me. When I was a boy, I had a child-like elementary question. Like, well, why don't he cast my sin as far as the north is from the south? When somebody explained this to me, it changed my life. And I, I really remember it as a child. I remember the day it changed my life. If you travel north long enough, you'll eventually start traveling back south. If you travel south long enough, you'll eventually go back to the north. There's always that change in direction. But if you take off to the east and you start traveling east, you can fly east until the end of the world. You can just fly east, fly east, fly go all the way around the world, and you're flying east. And if you go west, you can go around and around and around and around. And you never go back to the east as long as you're going west. So what he's really saying here is as far as the east can go, just keep on going, 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 going. And as far as the west is, just keep on going, going, going. That's how far I can take your failure and put it away from me. I've come to lift up somebody's head tonight and say to you that if you can begin to forgive yourself the way that God has forgiven you, you're going to begin to see that his mercy will always be greater than your mistake. You cannot live your life in the rearview mirror and see where you're going. So tonight, I'm not talking about next Sunday night. I'm not talking about Wednesday night. I'm talking about tonight, right now, on Sunday, January the 19th, 2020. That tonight would be a great night for you to cover up that rearview mirror and put your eyes in the direction of the goodness of the Lord and say, thank God, I may not be what I want to be, but I'm sure glad. I'm not what I used to be. Second Samuel, the twelfth chapter. 
There is this uncomfortable moment in the life of King David where we find out that you are never so loved of God that you're untouchable. When the prophet Nathan comes to him and he begins to share this parable with him about this man that came over to this poor man's house and he stole his lamb from him and he took it and he fed people and he said the sad thing about this David is that this man had plenty of lambs himself and he came in and he stole this one lamb it was a sad deal and anger begins to kindle up in David's heart and I'm giving you the fast forward version but he gets really upset and he looks at Nathan and he says I want you to tell me right now who is this man that would steal this lamb? Who is the man that would do this? And just as that indignation rises up in him and he's ready to call in the cavalry and go after him and cut his head off and do whatever he's got to do to him, he's ticked off. I mean, the man is upset. Nathan just throws this cold, wet blanket on the conversation and he goes, David, you are that man. What? I'm that man. Yes, David, thou art the man. You are the man that trespassed. You are the man that walked in somewhere that did not belong to you. You are the man that has done things that are unrighteous in the sight of God. David, you are that man. You are the man that has messed up. But folks, listen to what this preacher is telling you tonight. There is this hunger in the hearts of humanity for some reason to keep people pinned down under the pressure of what they have done. But Nathan did not leave the king there in that moment of pressure. He begins to let him know, David, there is hope beyond this rearview mirror. If you will but bow your knee and repent in the presence of God there is something that will happen in your life God can heal you God can restore you God can turn you around I've come to tell somebody tonight you are not without hope and you are not without help there is still a crimson stream of blood Verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. This is so powerful. Because David's sin really had nothing to do with God. He sinned against people. He sinned with a woman that wasn't his wife. And then had her husband put to death. It was all intentional. It was sin against man. But David realized that any trespass that I have in my life ultimately the person that I'm hurting is the Lord he said I have sinned against the Lord and he said unto David the Lord also hath put away thy sin thou shalt not die listen to this preacher tonight when I tell you that anybody who will step forward and realize you have made a mistake but a mistake is just that it is a mistake if you're willing to bring that to God and lay that at his feet I know there's perfect people in here tonight that don't need his mercy but you're looking at a man that is forever more grateful for the mercy of God I'm 
so glad for his mercy. I want you to listen to the way this prophet of the Lord handles this. He said, how be it, he, 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 even though, even though you're, not, you're not going to be put to death, he said, because of this deed that thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child that also is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. Therefore David besought God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth. But he would not. Neither did he eat bread with them. I'm going to touch something right here. I'm going to touch this as a watchman on the wall of this church. And I want to tell you that there is a grave difference that I see in the modern church and in this story right here. In the modern church, there's an arrogance that comes with sin. It's like people dare you to say something to them. It's like, this is who I am, now deal with it. But David, when the man of God came to him, he said, David, this is what you've done. You've sinned before the Lord. The Bible said that David got down in the earth and began to pray and began to fast and began to seek God. I want to tell you that the first step to true repentance is the fruit of your spirit. People can tell by your spirit and your response to God of whether or not you really want to be free or you just don't want to be broken. <laughs> David arose from the earth and he washed and anointed himself and he changed his apparel. And he came into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. Oh my. Fall in sin and then let shame keep us home. David said, The strength is going to be when you come to the house of the Lord and you get in his presence. Church family, listen. I've been around people a long time. I know that people have a hard time forgiving. But here's the thing I want you to understand. It is not the forgiveness of man that's going to cause you entrance into eternal life. It is the forgiveness of God. So if you come to church for the rest of your life and men don't forgive you. Ain't that right, choir? See, some of you are convicted right now. Not because you sinned, but because you sinned against a brother that's trying to climb out. But what you don't know is that your tongue is an idle tongue. And God is going to hold every idle word. He's going to hold you responsible for it just like he did the sinner. You know what I decided a long time ago? I decided to show biblical mercy towards people. That if they're willing to repent and they're willing to be humble before God, 
I can work with that spirit. And I would rather stand before God for showing mercy than I would to stand before God as a man who had something to say about everybody that God had done a work in their life. You hear me when I tell you that mercy is not just for people who've got it all together. Mercy is for people who have been broken and turned upside down and made a mess of your life. But God will bring you out and God will turn you around. There may be the tongues of a thousand men that are raised up against you and the heathen may rage. But if God be for you, then who can be against you? Therein is the problem with the rearview mirror. When you live with your life in the rearview mirror, every time you look in that mirror, you see the finger of somebody pointing at you saying, this is what you were. This is what you've done. This is who you are. But I feel like telling somebody in the Holy Ghost tonight, as sure as I've ever stood in this pulpit under the anointing and unction of the Holy Ghost, that what you were is what you were. That is not what you are. Your greatest fear cannot be how long it's going to take to be restored to ministry. I'm not as worried about you being restored to ministry as I am you being restored to a relationship with the Son of God. I want your heart to be right with the Lord. Pastor, what are you doing? I'm carrying a burden into this pulpit tonight. I'm reaching for somebody that the enemy has lied to you. you got to get out of the rearview mirror and let mercy meet you. David arose from the earth. Somebody shout, get up. He washed and anointed himself. He changed his apparel and came to the house of the Lord. And he worshiped. You're not worthy to worship, David. You messed up. You're not the one receiving my worship. That's free. Completely free. Now here it is. He came to the house of the Lord he worshiped. Then he came to his own house. And what I preached to you this morning, I don't know if this was just part two of this morning or what, but this is where the Lord brought me. He said, it's one thing to come to my house and get it right. But real fruit of repentance is not only seen in front of everybody at my house. It's what you are when you're at your house. I can repent enough to get on a music musical instrument again. I can repent enough to get back in a Sunday school class. I can repent to get up in the choir, whatever I want to do in his house. But what I want to know is, has there been a change in my house? Are the things that caused me to be weak before and fall into that and disgrace his house, are they still in my house? Is there something I need to do something? I need to clean out something. I need to push out something that I need to get rid of some bridge that I need to burn. What do I need to do in my house to be sure that my mistake was a mistake and his mercy is enough? Listen, I'm telling somebody in the Holy Ghost tonight, we cannot just expect mercy to do for us what only we can do for us. 
Can't do it. Mercy has never made anybody stop drinking. Never made anybody stop smoking. Never made anybody stop sinning. That is not what mercy does. It is not mercy's responsibility to carry me through the pearly gates. But it will be because of his mercy that I make it. Mm. Man, if I had a way to just reverse that. I'd say it just like that again. It won't be his mercy that takes me through the gate. But I won't walk through that gate if it had not been for his mercy. Understand me when I tell you tonight. There is a dark place that man can go to. And I'll be the first to admit to you tonight, I've never been this dark. But there really is a tipping point in the life of a man a woman, I'm using that as humanity. That you can, you can cross over this moment of saying, I made this mistake. And then I tried to go to church and I didn't feel anything. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to read too much into this. But the Bible doesn't say that David worshipped for a response. Am I helping anybody right now? It doesn't say David came in and he worshiped and God touched him and he cried and he wept and he spoke in tongues and he danced and he shouted and then somebody preached and patted him on the back. No. He got up and he went to the house of God. He worshiped. He did it because God's good, not because he's been perfect, but because God's perfect. God's good. And then he goes home and he starts working on it. And so here's how it works. You come and you like get this all mixed up in your mind. People are judging you and people are this and that and the other. Well, good. Let them do it because I'm going home and I'm going to keep working on me. But there's this, there's this moment that you can slip beyond feeling hope. And it usually happens in this phase right here when you leave the house of God and you go home. And you get by yourself. And you start questioning everything that you know to be true. It happens in moments of isolation, just like it did John Baptist in a prison of isolation when he sent his disciples and said, you go ask Jesus, are you him or should we look for another? What John knew who he was. He was born to tell the world who he was. And when he got isolated in prison, he started questioning everything that he knew to be true. And a spirit of offense got a hold of him. A spirit of offense will come when you're by yourself and there's nobody else around. And when you're alone, some of you know exactly what I'm saying to you tonight. You got the courage to go to the house of God the first time. But when you get by yourself, everything around you attacks your courage to go back again. I'm preaching right now. You get all by yourself and man, those, those church people hate you. People are going to judge you. Pastor's ticked off at you. <laughs> you sure don't know me. That guy is going to get up and throw rocks at you. You know what? If there's anybody in this place that would ever question whether or not I'm throwing rocks from this pulpit, you don't know my heart. God sent me here to be a shepherd. 
And if I'm throwing rocks, I'm throwing it at the devil that's standing behind you and not at you. And tonight, I just want to tell you, I came with my pouch full and my sling ready. Because I'm about to tell some giants of shame and fear and unbelief and intimidation. When you go home, you're going home armed up tonight. You're going home and you're going to look that, that giant in the face. And you're going to say, you come at me with shame. You come at me with fear. You come at me with intimidation. But I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. I am coming to you with the strength that I got tonight. And I will see this giant fall in my life. I refuse to live one more day with my eyes looking at the rearview mirror. This will be the last day that I let this thing dictate who I am, where I'm going, and what I'm doing. I'm getting up from here. I'm going to the house of God. And I'm going back home to have revival. Stay with me. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be too long. Then he went to his own house. When it required, they brought bread before him and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, The thing, what thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive. But when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat bread. I don't want to get too deep here. I don't want to, I don't want to get too, too deep. Okay. But there is a powerful, powerful principle that happens right here. That first bite of food that David takes when he gets up, goes to the house of God, comes home, works on his house, and then he breaks the fast. Is the exact moment, the pivotal moment in the story that David realizes, and this is so powerful. There is nothing I can do about yesterday. It was so evident that they looked at him and said, so like, why now? Why, why, why would you eat right now? And it's as though revelation just walks into the room. And David says, yesterday is behind me. And today is before me. And my future will be greater than my past. And so the Bible said that after he got up and worshipped, and follow me closely, you can read the whole story if you want to for the sake of time. I want to walk you down a couple of paths tonight. It said that they took the child and they buried it. David buried his past. Then he went into Bathsheba and she's no longer called Uriah's wife. Because he married the present. And he produced a future. Follow the sequence. He buried the past. He married the present. And he produced a future. Somebody walk through that with me. He buried the past. He married the present. And everything that was in it. Can't take the past away. It happened. But I buried it. And now i got to live with today the consequence of what happened. I'm going to carry the sorrow of it. But it doesn't mean I'm not forgiven. There will always be a grave 
for the mistake. Man, I wish somebody would get this. There will always be a marker that I'm sure at some point David went back to and he said, I know I'm forgiven, but it hurts. But over here, I've got a Solomon that I got to pour into because someday the house of God has got to be finished. And when Solomon makes a mistake, and he will, he needs to have a place that he too can come and wash his face and repent of his sins and get up and do something for God. I cannot let Solomon live in the rearview mirror because of my mistake. So I'm going to bury my past, I'm going to marry the present, and I'm going to produce a future. I hurry tonight. Oh, God. The plan of salvation has been laid out so plain for us in Acts, the second chapter, in the 38th verse. I think sometimes we get so excited about the waters of baptism being troubled and Somebody receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost that I really think sometimes, Brother Lang, we forget what came first. I love to see people baptized in Jesus' name. I love to see them filled with the Holy Ghost and you can't be saved without it. We believe that. But the issue is that a baptized soul that has not repented will walk back in the direction of where they came from. Man. Then Peter said unto them, repent. And it's so easy to just like move on. Because we want to get them baptized. I've talked with some of our team many, many times about Particular things, and I don't want to chase a rabbit trail here, but there was there was a a thing going around for a while. This, you know, what's keeping you from getting baptized right now? Because it only takes five minutes to repent and ten minutes to get baptized. And every time I would hear that said, it would make me cringe. But it means it don't take five minutes to repent. And I wish y'all could feel what I feel. It's not a five-minute process. It's not a five-minute prayer that I pray. It's an active work of the grace of God in my life that I am constantly turning. And when I'm pulled in this direction, I'm turning back to a place where God can deal with me and work with me. So let us not be so quick when we're running people through the plan of salvation to just say, then Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Read it like it's written. Then Peter said to them, repent, comma, stop and think about this a second. Then Peter said to them, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And we act like you can just say, I'm sorry, and then go get baptized. There's got to be some dying right here. Look, 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 this is not just new birth. This is death, burial, and resurrection. We need to stop at repentance and let people know that you don't die in five minutes for what you did for 40 years. 
got to let God work on you. Get down inside those parts you don't want anybody to know, anybody to see, anybody to have anything to do with, because that's what he needs to fix. Repent. Be baptized. Every one of you. And I, 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 I don't, I, again, I don't want to chase a rabbit trail, but I think what's happening is we're not seeing true conversion because we're burying living people. I said we're burying living people. Well, just get them up there and get them in. My God, what if the Lord comes back? Well, if the Lord comes back and their heart's not right, what good did we do? This is covenant. Repentance is not just the plan of salvation. It is a work on its own. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 8. This is so rich. I need to slow this down for just a minute. Are y'all getting tired? Don't, don't run off and leave me. Is everybody okay? 2 Corinthians 7 and 8. I want you to read this very slow with me and get the language of this. He said, for though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry. Though it were but for a season. Listen to this language, church. It is so powerful. He said, now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry. But that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner. That you might receive damage by us in nothing. Verse 10 is divine revelation. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. There is a difference in being sorry that you got caught. And godly sorrow that will lead you to repentance. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a KJV man, but I want to read this to you in, in the Common English Bible, okay? There's nothing common or, or English about it, really, but just listen to this. Even though my letter hurt you, I don't regret it. Well, I did regret it just a bit because I see that the letter made you sad, though only for a short time. Now I'm glad, not because you were sad, but because you were made sad enough to change your hearts and your lives. You felt godly sadness so that no one was harmed by us in any way. Think about that. God, speak in this room right now. You felt godly sadness. So that nobody was harmed. You didn't go to anybody and say, can you believe that the only thing they wanted me to do was repent and get right? He said, I could tell there was godly sorrow in your life. Because nobody was hurt by what we said or by what we did. 
He said, Godly sadness produces a changed heart and life that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. But sorrow under the influence of the world produces death. You hear this preacher when I tell you this is the difference in conviction and condemnation. And there is therefore now no condemnation. Hallelujah. To those who are in Christ Jesus. If you feel conviction tonight, you ought to give God glory for it. If you feel condemnation, you've got to get out of worldly sorrow. And let godly sorrow work in your life. Hebrews 12, I'm going to work through this. I'm almost done. Hebrews 12 and 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. There's the truth. Listen to verse 17, for you know how that afterward, church, this will rock your world. When he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Let me preach to you. Esau never sought forgiveness for his sin, only for the removal of the consequence. He was sorry that he had to suffer for his sin. But he never changed his heart. Go back and read the story. I don't have time to go through it tonight. Go back and read the story. Three verses after weeping tears of sorrow. Three verses after he weeps and cries. The Bible said that he hated Jacob. God, please forgive me. I still hate my brother. Can't. It's quoted all the time. I'm hurrying through my notes. It's quoted all the time when guys get up to take offerings. They say, Give, and it shall be given unto you in good measure, pressed down. Shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom? Yes, it's a principle. Yes, yes, yes. It still works with giving. Yes. But that whole chapter never mentions finance. It mentions mercy. Give. And it shall be given to you. In good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I've had people ask me before, Pastor, how many times is so-and-so going to come up here to the altar and bawl and squall and cry? You know what, Sister Carol, I don't have a good answer for them. But I'm going to tell you something. Every time they do, I'm going to rejoice. 
Because someday will be the last time that they have to come forward like that. And I'm going to leave that up to God because they're either going to have their breakthrough or God's going to wash his hands of them. But either way, let this church never fall into the pit that we deserve mercy that somebody else don't deserve. Give and it shall be given unto you in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. tell you one of the greatest works of God that ever transpires and I oh man I wish I did have time but I don't in the story of Jacob and Esau is that at the death of Isaac when Esau's ready to kill Jacob there is this moment that God gets Jacob off by himself he deals greatly with his heart, and he felt bad, and it was a place of wrestling. You, you've read the story. He had to get alone and wrestle with God. And then him and Esau have a face-off a meeting. They kind of work things out together, and Jacob brings him an offering. You know, it's kind of a neat deal. But there's something about this story that messes with you. Because Jacob got alone with God. And God changed his identity. And Esau got alone with bitterness. And he never found repentance. You write it down. This preacher came here on this night to tell somebody in the Holy Ghost. There's one of two places you can go tonight. You can get alone with God, or you can get alone with bitterness. Prove it, Pastor. Prove it, Pastor. Okay, I'll prove it to you. Two of the men called by Jesus Christ himself to be disciples. Both of them denied him. No sin any greater than the other. One was for the pressure of 30 pieces of silver, and the other was the pressure that if he said, yes, I'm one of his, that they may crucify him too. They were both under pressure. But where was Judas on the day of Pentecost? Quick, quick, quick question for you. Who murdered Judas? He killed himself. You know why? Because people who don't find repentance are their own worst enemy. There is a place, Peter... For you to come to God and restore yourself. And this is why he was the voice chosen of God on that day, Brother Gray. When they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? The first thing that came out of his mouth, repent. Why, Peter? Because I know how it feels. I know what it feels like to deny him when I should have walked with him. 
But because of his mercy, I will not live in the rearview mirror. I'm going to stand here on the day of Pentecost and declare to you that the reason you can repent is the same reason I could repent. It's because of his mercy. It is that Jesus whom you crucified, that God has made both Lord and Christ. He is the reason why we have mercy. Let's stand together. I don't know. I don't know why we always believe his lies. Forgive me if I sound crude because I know this is a sober moment, but I just got to be real with you. If you don't let your kids say this and cover their ears, somebody just needs to tell the devil, shut your mouth. Get out of my ear. Get out of my life. Just shut up. Get out. You don't have any dominion here. You have no authority here. You have no right here. I may have made a mistake, but I'm getting up. And I'm, and I'm not getting up with the promise of Pentecost. I'm getting up with the promise of mercy. When Peter made things right with God, God hadn't promised him that he was going to preach Pentecost. My get up has nothing to do with how God's going to use me and everything to do with the fact that he has restored me. I'm reaching tonight. I'm reaching for somebody in this house as a desperate man standing before this congregation and declaring to you, it is not over until God says it's over. I wish somebody would just get bold tonight. I know you don't want to drive a junky car. And if you did this to your car, you'd be silly. But I'm not talking about the car tonight. Somebody just needs to reach up. Brandon, grab that rearview mirror. Just rip it off and throw it out the window. Pull your car over and drop kick both windows on, or both mirrors on the side of your car because you're not looking back anymore. Tonight, this is it. I'm done. I've got one, I've got one direction. I'm moving in the direction of forgiveness. I'm moving in the direction of mercy. I'm moving in the direction of restoration. I'm moving forward in the name of Jesus. I'm not living in the rearview mirror.